You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. That's the second best introduction I've ever gotten. The first best is when I introduced myself, so that's good. Well, listen, I, I, I want to be, come on in, guys, come on in, ladies. Um, yeah, I want to be super practical, and I've learned in these things, the best thing I can do is uh, to leave room for your questions, so I'm going to do that, do my best on that, but I do want to give you some content. So uh, I just want to talk about um, a little bit of my story. So he, he kind of brought it in, uh, but we planted a church in 2002, and it did grow rapidly. We found a church planting network very similar to ARC. And the thing about your, um, your growth and your gifting outpacing your character, that happened to me. And so about three and a half years ago, I had to, I had to resign for the church that I loved and led um, and just kind of led me on this process of discovering, okay, what is going on in me? Now here, I believe in counseling. We, had, we started a counseling center. We had 12 full-time counselors. So I thought counseling was awesome for everyone else. And then when I kind of collapsed, I realized, oh, man. So, um, so a lot of this is just out of my own story, my own wounding. And, um, uh, and I just want you guys to make it. I don't want you to have to be on the front page of your paper like I was, an article in Christianity Today. That's not where you want to be um, because your character and your wounds are not caught up and healed. And so uh, hopefully we can um, talk a little bit about that. And... Um, so let me just re- give you some, like, what happens when you are with a good counselor? Let me just give you four things up front. I'm just going to say these, and then I want to talk about just some practicals, and then we'll answer your questions. So this is what a good counselor does. Number one, they affirm your dignity as a human being. Um, the most truest thing about you is not your sin. It's the fact the Bible does not start in Genesis 3, Right? Right. It starts in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we're made as image bearers of God. So what a good counselor is going to do is talk about that. If they're a Christian counselor, they're going to talk about your identity in Christ. Okay. Um, so a good counselor is going to affirm your dignity. And a good counselor is going to help you, we're going to talk about this, feel your feelings. Okay. <clears throat> and then a good counselor is going to help you expose your idols. The things that you're trusting in, the underneath, the sins underneath the sin, the root behind the fruit, it's going to help you see why uh, you're behaving, thinking, um, acting certain ways. And then they're going to heal your wounds, help you heal your wounds. So um, if you're in counseling and these things aren't happening, you need to find another counselor because this is what a good counselor does. And that's the goal. And some of you are very interested in counseling and that's why you're here. Um, and that's what we're doing. And uh, there's a lot of other things I could say, but I'll just say those. Now, <clears throat> I was supposed to have a whiteboard, so I'm a little handicapped. It might be coming in. But I'm going to walk you through a passage of Scripture that I think is super helpful um, when you think about, because here's the thing. This really gets into what we believe about how people change. How, we're all in it for growth. We want uh, people to come and meet Jesus. But we also want, with Paul in Galatians 1, like we're going to... Uh, uh, admonish and teach everyone until they're mature in Christ, right? That that is our responsibility is to help people, help Christ be formed in people holistically, right? Their head, their heart, their hands, every part of who they are, um, loving God, loving people, right? The holistic. So 
Galatians 5 is a passage of scripture that is super helpful as we think about what does it look like to be formed. And I want to make the case um, of why you need a counselor, and maybe you can take this message to other people. But what actually happens when you're being counseled? I kind of give you some principles, but what what will a good counselor do? Like, what, how do you know you're in a process of being counselored? What? Why, in other words, and, and what happens? So Galatians 5, verse 16 says, uh, walk, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the word desires there is the Greek word uh, epithumia, which literally means over-desire. So typically our problems is it's not a normal-sized desire for something evil. It's an oversized desire for something good. That's what an idol is. It's, it's, it's something that's good that we make best. It's something that's important that we make too important. And so your biggest challenge as a pastor is not that you're going to go to a strip club. I don't think that's a huge temptation for most of you. Or that you're going to do something crazy with money. Now, you could do both of those things. You could uh, sin sexually. You could sin financially. Most of the issues that you're going to have is making ministry more important than Jesus and more important than your family. That's, that's, the big, that's the big rub. And so when he starts, this word that's used throughout the New Testament, desires, over desires. So I want you to think in terms of not just what the good things that you're making too important. Okay, just be thinking about that. Um, so he gets into this whole thing about flesh and spirit. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? What does it mean to walk in the flesh? But then in verse 22, he says, but, after listening to all these crazy sins, but... The fruit of the Spirit is, finance on the board, awesome. But the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, I want you to look at your Bible real quick. On your phone, whatever. Uh, Galatians 5, does it say in Galatians 5.22, does it say the fruits of the Spirit are? Is that what the Bible says? What does it say? What does it say? Why are you looking at me? Look at your Bible. What does it say? <laughs> Say fruits are or fruit is? Fruit is. Okay, very important. So what we tend to do with this is we go, oh, man, all right, there's nine of these, right? All right, we've got love, pretty good at love, joy, yeah, it depends on the day, not so much peace, not so much patience. I'm pretty gentle, though. So we go, okay, there's nine of them. i got three of them. I can hit in the major leagues with that average. 333, I'm good, okay? So what we tend to do with lists like this is we tend to look and check them off but because it says fruit is, what he's saying is it's a collective. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, a cluster of grapes. Meaning that if the spirit is operative in your life, that all of the fruit of the spirit are going to be born through your life. Mm-hmm. Not all at the same time. Yeah. You're going to have some big grapes and some small grapes. Mm-hmm. But if the spirit is having influence in you, this is what's going to be coming out of you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, what I did not understand and connect, I, I did not understand that spiritual maturity is directly connected to emotional health. Now, if you look at these, if you look at these traits, what you will see is, and if you look at the emotional health language, if you write emotional healthy spirituality or any, any grand stuff, true self, false self, all that, um, all of the all of this language is used in, to describe emotional healthy people. Um, 
they'll use words like empathy. Um, the, you know, well, what what is kindness and goodness? So, I mean, in other words, your spiritual maturity. When you hear the word emotional health, don't think another category. Think a connected category. So spiritual maturity. Um, and so you can be a person who's used by God, who knows Bible verses. Listen, my undergraduate's in biblical languages. I have a doctorate degree in preaching. And I freaking imploded my life. <laughs> Get what I'm saying? So it's, it's not enough to just quarantine your emotional life from your spiritual life. So um, what a good counselor is going to do is help you focus on the biblical categories for maturity. This is what it means to be spirit-filled people. Not because people are dancing your worship services and have their hands up. Okay? That's, that's, that I'm, you know how we use that to worship spirit-filled church? Yeah. This is what a spirit-filled person looks like. That's the fruit of the spirit. Um, so the goal is increasingly letting the spirit have more and more of you and bleeding into every part of your life. And so, um, <clears throat> so we'll draw this if the, if the board comes. But I want you to think concentric circles, okay? So the concentric circles that a counselor is going to help you accomplish health in is they're going to help you achieve first what's called self-clarity, okay? So self-clarity is two things. It answers two questions. How am I wired and how am I wounded? How am I wired and how am I wounded? So how am I wired? How, what, what gifts has God given you? What are your inborn preferences? If you guys have ever done like the Myers-Briggs, this is your Myers-Briggs is your inborn preferences. It's how you take in and organize information. Okay? It's your wire. It's your nature. Enneagram, if you guys are familiar with that, is more about your nurture and your wounding. Myers-Briggs, wiring, nature, Enneagram, um, wounding, and nurture. Different measure different things. You need to know both about yourself. And a good counselor is going to help you discern what are your God-given gifts, what are your passions, where do you see fruit. When you do, when you do this, disproportionate goodness happens. That's your gift, right? But then your wounds are the things that are keeping you from actualizing your God-given potential. And usually they don't emerge, your wounds, until you're in your 40s. So, till you're in your 40s. So, so basically, you kind of get away with things for a while, and then everything starts coming out. And that has to do with responsibilities, that has to do with pressure. It's even they found neuroscientifically some stuff goes on in your brain as you get into middle age. So you will see a lot of, a lot of pastors, celebrity pastors that have blown it. You start looking at their ages. It's all in that 45 to like 55. It's crazy. And the guys who uh, counseled us and helped us said, oh, thank you. Look at you guys. Oh, that's a big one, too. Come on. You got him? Awesome. Good. Great. Thank you. All right. You're awesome. Okay. So what I just said was, let me draw this out. Um, so self-clarity. Answers the question, how and what? What did I say? Wired plus wounded. Yeah. 
So there's a difference between a sin and a wound. A sin is a rebellious place that needs repentance. A wound is a broken place that needs healing. You cannot repent of wounds. And you cannot, with my definition, heal sin. You don't counsel sin. You don't need to go to counseling because of your sin. And that's it. You need to repent of your sin. Your counseling is mainly about your, your wounds. Yeah, sin is a rebellious place that needs repentance. A wound is a broken place that needs healing. And what we do is we conflate those two. And we don't have categories. We think everything is a volitional choice. You either sin or you don't sin. Well, there's a lot of complexity to why people do what they do. And so what a good counselor is going to do is give you categories beyond just, he meant to do that. It's like, no, there's other factors. I'm not saying that the behavior could not be described as sinful. If we want, I mean, every single sin, I think, is described in verses 19 and 20, through 21. I didn't read them all just for sake of time because we got started late. But, it, but what my point is, don't think that everything that's going to cause your character issues is, is sin. It's unhealed wounds that get people. Okay? It's like me. I grew up in an abused home. My dad was physically abusive with me. My mom, sexually abusive my sisters. That was how I grew up. And so you think you deal with it. I've written books about it. Father wound. I got all these podcasts and like speaking at conferences and doing all this stuff. But when he died in 2015, something broke in me. Because I thought I was... Sometimes the most damaging wounds are the ones we thought were already healed. Wow. So you got to pay attention to this. And sometimes it's just like a little scab, a little scar tissue. And you think, oh, I'm good. Then you bump it. You're like, oh, that's not healed, right? Uh, so pay attention. That's the realm of self-clarity. And this is what a good counselor is going to do. So you want to find your wound. I won't write these down. Um, but here are some questions to ask if you want to find your wound. What do you avoid? What do you avoid? Are there certain types of people you avoid? Are there certain situations? Are there certain conversations? Are there certain subjects that you tend to avoid? Second, second question you can ask yourself is, when do you cry? When do you cry? What brings you to tears? So you're like the Hallmark Channel. That's not really what I'm talking about. <laughs> but maybe, but maybe. Sentimental stuff might, you know what I mean? Like, so when, when do you cry? Third question is, what do you defend? What gets your dukes up, man? Where, when somebody pushes on something, says something, when do you, when does, you know, when does mama bear, papa bear come out? And then the last question is, where is your anger? Pull an Enneagram real quick. Depending, depending on your Enneagram style. Um, by the way, your Enneagram style uh, is not who you are. It's who you thought you needed to be. So you handle anger, anger differently. Okay? Uh, depending on your Enneagram style. Uh, but you're all, all of us have anger. Where is that for you? You may suppress it, repress it, rename it. Depending on who you are. But you, you have it. And that'll help understand, because that's where you're like, we, we typically respond to wounds um, by either glossing over them or getting bitter about them when they're not healed. Because we have to make sense of it, right? We have to do stuff. So where's your anger? 
Um, all right, so second concentric circle is what I'll call, I'm drawing in for colors, is what I'll call self-awareness, okay? Self-awareness. Self-awareness answers the question how I'm experienced. Okay, when you call somebody and they see and they and they see your name on their phone, how do they feel? What's your effect on people? How are you experienced? All right, I need I need, uh, I need two volunteers. Okay, thank you. Yeah, come on, step up, step up. What's your name? Emma. Emma. Janice. Janice. Okay, Janice, you stand there. Emma, you stand there. Okay, now let's say Janice here is an awesome pastor, but in meetings, Janice can be a little bit cranky because <laughs> she's got so many meetings and so much stuff to do and, oh my gosh, all this stuff and the kids and the book. All right, so let's say that she is about this aware that sometimes in meetings she can be short and a little cranky. She knows it this much. All right, so like if we drew it out, um, uh, now you don't want to be you don't want to be cranky in meetings, do you? No, I no, don't. of course not. So your intention <laughs> is not to be cranky in meetings. The problem is over here. The uh, I'm gonna go down on this one. Sorry, because I need room there. The perception. Is it, she can be a little cranky. Now, let's say she's this much aware of it. What do we got right here? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's what I call the sag, <laughs> the self-awareness gap. So what do people fill in this gap? What do they fill it with? The people that are perceiving her as cranky. If she's aware of this much, but she's, she doesn't understand her, her effect, right. what do people fill that with? Yeah. And mistrust. Mistrust. Yeah. You, you ladies can be seated. Thank you. So what happens, here's what happens. We, the emperor doesn't know that he's not, or she's not wearing clothes. So what happens when you encounter a person who's not aware of themselves? What do you do? Well, you might listen to them. You might somewhat participate in what they're, but you're not going to trust them. So a lot of times they go, man, I don't understand why the church is growing. I don't understand why my staff isn't with me. I don't know. What. They so bad want to trust you, but you're not aware of what's going on. You're not aware of your effect. And so the way you get aware of your effect is, you basically, I wonder if this will flip. Um, <coughs> I'm going to do this real quick. The only way that you can be aware of uh, flips. <laughs> that is hilarious. Now I'm the wrong way. Let me try again. Adventures and fight wars. All right. The only way that you can be aware of your, your emotional life is if you. Can somebody help me here? Could you help me hold it? No, 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 sit up. We got, we got a guy back here, sit up. 
Thank you. Just hold it, Adam, a second, because I'm going to, I'm involving the crowd. We're good. So, so the only way that you can have people experience you in an authentic way in your, in, so your intention is, I want to be this great leader, but the perception is off. The only way that you can really help people trust you is to be able to engage your own emotions. The reason why we're not aware is because we don't know how to engage our emotional life. And so we don't know how to enter into other people's. So we don't know. We say something cranky. Janice says something cranky. And we don't realize, man, that just laid that dude out. You just reminded him of his mom right then. But you're just like leaving me. You're not aware. And I'll just say it this way. To the degree that you don't process your own emotions, to that degree will people misunderstand you. All right, I'm going to give you the, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of lists, but the internet's always right, so this is on the internet. (laughs) But here are our primary emotions. That's the word's disgust, and then surprise. Okay, now there's more, there's different lists, but we're going to go with these six. Now, was Jesus God? Was he 100% God? Yes. Was Jesus a human being? Yes. Was he 100% a human being? Yes. Okay, so if Jesus was 100% human being, it's called the hypostatic union for you theologians out there. 100% God, 100% man. Did Jesus experience joy as a person, human being? When? When he experienced joy in the Bible? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, he re- several times it says he rejoiced in his spirit. I, I can't imagine children wanting to hang out with him if he wasn't fun and joyful. We know the cross, uh, Hebrews 12, 3, for the what set before him, he endured the cross. All right. How about, how about anger? Flip the tables, right? He went up right, right outside the art conference and started flipping over all those vendor tables, right? Fear. Yeah. Yeah, fear. Yeah. Uh, what about um, sadness? When the disciples slept. Lazarus. Lazarus, right? What about disgust? There's <laughs> Yep. Okay, here's one. What about surprise? Right. Yeah. Mark 13, 32, he said, um, in his humanity, somehow, Philippians 2 says, he, he, didn't, he didn't empty himself of deity, but he laid aside some of the privileges of deity. It's called the kenosis. Mark 13, 32, no one knows when the Son of Man's coming back. Not even the Son, only the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's my point. If, so can we agree that Jesus experienced all these emotions? Yes. So can we agree that if you follow Jesus, so should you? But do you? Because some of these are friends. Meaning you talk with them. You have great language. When I went through all my, uh, I did 200 hours of counseling. It was a part of my restoration process that lasted 26 months. And uh, Pastor Greg was involved with that. But, but one of the counselors said, uh, like, hey, uh, Darren, you have a low tolerance for negative emotions. And I remember thinking, 
How's your tolerance for a throat punch right now? I don't know what you're saying. But what he was saying is, in fact, he's like, Darren, you are awesome in anger. If there were still dictionaries, your picture might even be in the dictionary for anger. You're so good. Anger's your friend. Fear and sadness are your enemies. Your enemies are those you avoid. They're walking down the same side of the street, you go on the other side. Right? So, if you underrun to emotions, you will overrun to other ones. And what a good counselor is going to help you do is to feel your feelings. What you're supposed to do with emotions, these chairs are suspect. I'm going to try. I know Gene Apple, he'll be fine if I break it. Okay, this is what we tend to this is if you're if you have an emotion that you're uncomfortable with that you avoid it, here's what you do. Here's sadness, you go. Here's what you're supposed to do. Lord, don't let this chair break. Right, right. Sadness. This is the realm of self-awareness. So if you, here's the point. We're not self-aware with people because we, so they express fear. So like for me, with my kids, my, my kids, this is, I mean, it's just parent confession time. I have three girls and then my wife, four girls and then one boy. It's me and him against the world sometimes. So when gir- and girls cry, sadness. And I'm like, it's not that bad. Stop crying. Okay, so what does that do with my little girls? Does that make them trust daddy and want to go to them? When it, no. But because daddy won't enter his sadness, he doesn't know how to enter his little girls. If you don't understand, so some of you are visionary pastors, we're going to take the hill, we're going to get the building, we're going to raise the money, and you got people going, am I going to have a paycheck? If you don't know how to enter, and you just out-vision your fear all the time, and the way I dealt with sadness and fear is I would try to outwork it and not read it mm-hmm. and not conference it. Yeah. I just need a new technique. I just need better theology. I just need... And meanwhile, I get people around me going, dude, do you not see how crazy this is? Can you enter in at all to the fact that what we're doing is insane if God doesn't show up? Like, show, be a human being for, you know what I mean? Like, and so when we don't do that, people go, they might be kind of with us, but they're not. They're kind of doing this. Not going to fully trust us. Make sense? Yeah. And so, what a good counselor is going to do is they're going to help you with that awareness. And a great thing you can do, thank you. I think I can flip it and I think I'll stay on this side. It's kind of top heavy. We'll see if it'll stay. Now we can lock it down. Can you lock it? Thank you. There. Perfect. You fixed it. Yay! <laughs> what a good counselor is going to do is get you in conversations with the people around you. And since I'm a good counselor, I'm going, to, I'm going to do that right now. What you need to do is ask the people around you a couple of questions if you want self-awareness. And the first one is, where am I hard to trust? And what area am I hard to trust? An example, when I had, I had a pastor do this, and they're like, his staff is like, we trust your preaching. We trust your vision airing. We trust your parenting. 
we don't trust your marriage. And they, and they said, we look at your wife's countenance. So male pastor, we look at your wife's countenance. Something's wrong. And guess what? Something's wrong. Yeah. So, so where am I hard to trust is a great question for the people. Now, you want to be careful if you invite into the circle. That can be the parents, the circle of trust, right? So we want, we want the people who, but the wider you, the more vulnerable you can be, the more you're going to find out about yourself. This is what a good counselor is going to have. But you can count. Listen, this is a great thing. You do a lot of this on your own. Start with your spouse. Start with your kids. Start with your pastor. Start with your overseers. Train your overseers how to help you. This is what good overseers do. They help you have awareness. Right? All right, the last one is... What I'll call... Knew it. Sorry, thanks for taking close. The last one's called um, self-donation. So please, please know, I am not telling you, uh, and this is how we serve. I don't want you just to be, oh, just be so healthy and hug my inner child, and we just have this healthy one. You gotta grow a church, people. Like, we gotta make it hard for people to go to hell. Like, we gotta plant, we gotta do campuses, we gotta do the whole thing. So don't hear me saying health pitted against growth. Right. Like faithfulness versus fruitfulness. I hate those false dichotomies. So you've got to serve, but what a good council's gonna do is it's Exodus 4. Remember Moses? <laughs> so Moses tries to jumpstart the Exodus. Acts 7, which really tells us that. That's when he killed the Egyptian. That wasn't just a fit of anger. He thought, it says in Acts 7, that God was going to grant deliverance for his people by that act. So God says, you know, right desire, wrong timing. You could be a shepherd for 40 years. (laughs) So then in Exodus 4, God says, what's in your hand? Remember what he had in his hand? It was a staff. And he says, throw it down. And it became a what? Snake. And he says, pick it up by the tail. Grew up in a rural community. You don't pick a snake up by the tail. And then it became... So in other words, how you have led is going to look different. And so as you get healthy, how you express your God-given gifts and serve is going to look different. It's going to be... It's going to be... If you're... It's going to be tempered with empathy if you need that. Or some of you who are super empathetic, super people-focused, it's going to be tempered with more courage. Like if you go back to the fruit of the spirit, um, there's two words in there. One, you know, you got the kindness, goodness, and then you got the word faithfulness. The word faithfulness means confidence, courage, conviction, truth. But then kindness, goodness, all that's about love. And some of you are really good at truth and some of you are really good at love. And you have to be good at both because Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth, truth and love. Yeah. So, so the point is, how you serve is directly connected to how you see your wiring, your wounding, and how other people are experiencing you. And the people that never are able to have um, more impact in their leadership, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a big church. God called. Like, listen, not everyone's going to be Chris Hodges or whatever. 
Please don't put that on yourself. You're not, you're not all of you are going to be Holly Wagner. It's not going to happen. Like God has an assignment for you, but you're going to cap your leadership and influence if you are not growing and Christ is being formed in you. So it might lead to a big church. My buddy's got a church of 300. He's one of my spiritual fathers. And, but he's connected to the state police department. He's connected to all the firemen. He is the pastor of his community. He's, he's just awful with systems and structures, so his church is never going to be big. But he has this amazing influence, and he's done his work. And his wife is the first one on the line here helping him. Um, so we can enlist people to help us, but it takes a lot of vulnerability. And you may not be able to do that in your church, so you may have to do it outside your church. But hopefully you build a culture in your church where people can... Say, hey, after the meeting, that was a little harsh. That felt a little, felt like you, you should have confronted and you didn't. You want that, you, that's what you want. You don't want to just have a bunch of people. Because if they weigh in, they're going to buy in, right? And so we got to give people chances to weigh in. And this is a great opportunity. Okay. So if you have a counselor, um, and, and I'll talk about that real quick, and then we'll do Q&A. <clears throat> they don't have to be a professional counselor. They can be a pastoral counselor. They can, be, they can be a wise friend, okay? I would say, though, if you can, have a professional. Just think of it as paid discipleship. You're paying someone to have Christ, and you're like, well, I live in an area uh, where there are no Christian counselors. Um, does, do you live in an area where there's no Christian doctors and you still go to the doctor? So you have to have a counseling philosophy. We won't get into all that. Some of you have different philosophies on it. But what I would tell you is a good secular counselor can get you a long way. Now, you got to translate and have different categories and kind of filter out their whatever their worldview is, maybe. Um, but you can learn a ton from this. the best. Actually, the best resources on this kind of stuff are all written by people who aren't Christians. And the doctrine is called common grace, which means... All truth is God's truth. That's what John Calvin said, if you're keeping notes. Um, so, um, what are your questions about any of this or other stuff? What was the, uh, you said there were two questions for self-awareness, and I think you only gave one. Is there another one? That's probably true. What was the first one I gave? Oh, I didn't. In what area am I hard to trust? Yeah. Um, uh, what? What? <clears throat> this is really a similar question, but um, what do I do that causes uh, anxiety in you? In myself. What do? Yeah. What do I do? That, like you're asking something. What do I do that causes anxiety for you? Yeah. There's a different way of asking the same question. Some people get tripped up on the trust. Like, well, I trust you, man. We're good. Like. When do I make you nervous? Maybe not what I say. Yeah. Where am I hard to believe? Where does it feel? I'm just going on. Where, where does it feel like I'm pretending? We're all pretending. We all pretend to be farther along than we are in certain areas. And, 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 and the problem is everybody knows it. The longer they're with us. Yeah. Talk about the journey of kind of opening that can of worms. Uh, how... how how did you go through it? 
when it was so easy to sidestep it with more knowledge, more, you know, to, to combat the fear of, you know, father wounds, et cetera. Yeah. I think a lot of us are afraid maybe to go back to those places, cause, but it's going to come out one way or another. So we well, I didn't, I didn't deal with fear and sadness because I'm like, if I get in that black hole, I ain't getting out. Yeah. And I got too much to do. So you got to know your objections. That was mine. If I go in, I'll never get out. I won't be able to get all the stuff done that I'm supposed to do. Other people are like, I don't want to face. Um, I'm afraid of what I'll see. Um, another one is um, everybody will find out I'm, a, I'm an imposter. Um, just give me you are, you are. Just know that. It's okay. We're all imposters. We're all pretending to be farther along than we are. It's just part of it. It's okay. Just eliminate that one. That was an easy one. But what are your objections to it? Like, you got to know those. A lot of people, I'm smarter than the counselor. What are they going to know? How can they help me? I went to Bible college. <laughs> right. That is a great one. That is so great. That's right. Or that, that, that's... That's the, that's emotional stuff. I'm a, I'm a spiritual. I'm a Bible person. I'm a Holy Spirit person. Listen, I, by the way, on the Holy Spirit stuff, like I'm all in. Like we we we've seen a healing revival at Seacoast. Crazy, miraculous stuff. So God can zap you and heal you in a moment. I would just say that's not normally the way He does it. It's awesome when He does it, and let's ask for it and pray for it and believe for it and expect it. But I don't think that's normally how he does it. Yes, brother. So uh, are you seeing a counselor on a regular basis? How often? Like me? Is your wife involved? Yeah, when we were, uh, yeah, it was an intense time because it was crisis trauma. Now we do check-ins probably like once a month now. But I just went through something with a whole thing that brought up a bunch of junk that I thought I was healed. And so now I'm going weekly for me. But her and I kind of check in. And then we do intensives uh, on 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 with some some of our counselors. Like she's at one today. Like she's in. We literally were going to do this thing together, and then we they moved the dates to the art conference, and I couldn't be there. But she we we're doing this two year thing together with with our counselors guys. Yeah. So, um, what is what would you recommend, like as a pastor with your team, and even with your church? Um, as a pastor, you're not perfect. What is a good level of vulnerability with a team to begin to broach some of this? Mm-hmm. Even with your team and with people you're helping, as a person, <coughs> you want to be honest and vulnerable to bring that out of other people, but at the same time, you you know want to do it in a, um, a way that's not going to damage yep. um, that you know yeah. this type of loss. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard. You don't want to use the pulpit as a confessional. But I think it starts in the pulpit. I think it starts with using illustrations of when you failed versus when you succeeded. So like saying, man, I'm, this is where I blew it. Um, I, think it I think it really, and I think, let me even back up, I think it starts around your dinner table. Like repenting to your kids and to your spouse often. I blew it. I, didn't, I got angry. I didn't, you know, I'm avoiding. And just kind of talking about it. Being comfortable with the people that you love and that are close to you. And then using the pulpit appropriately. And then, and then the other thing I would just say is, <clears throat> this is why stuff like the Enneagram and other tools are great. Because it gets everybody, everybody like goes, oh, we're all jacked up. And it's okay. 
It's really okay not to be okay. Um, where you want to be careful on, 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 on the vulnerability piece is there are things that you can tell people in your church and there are things that you can only tell people outside of your church. And that's your pastors, your overseers, your fi- friends. There are certain things you just... And, and so what people do, though, is they go... Um, they, they use that to hide. This is what I did. I'm like, you know, because people are like, dude, what's going on? I'm like, don't worry, I've got... You know, and I didn't. I was lying. Um, and then the other people... The other, so there's dangers there where, you, where you're pretending. There's also dangers of... I don't share anything in my church. I'm robo pastor, right? I'm Tin Man. Like I have no, and, and it's out there. Or <clears throat> everybody shares everything within their church with all the people that they can fire. And then their overseers have no idea what's going on. So I think you've got to have that balance of, you know, you know, people that are outside, inside. But for me, and I don't know what you want, but like um, culture, you know, pre- Peter Drucker said culture each strategy for breakfast. So I don't don't care how cool your church planning plan is and how awesome you want, you know, all that, the culture, how healthy your culture is. And I think it starts with vulnerability and you have, as the leader, you lead out in that. So sometimes you got to throw breadcrumbs out. So you got to kind of try and see if people can handle it. So you throw a little deal out. Um, I did it the other day. We're helping replant this church and, um, and uh, my wife and I got in the biggest fight. I have never, it, it, I mean, of all the years of doing ministry, like almost 30 now, we got the I could barely preach. I had to preach. It was awful. And then we had a little meeting afterwards. We're trying, it's just complicated. I would never tell anybody to do a church plan or replant like this. How I got into it, I know better. I've written books. I've been training. I'm so stupid. I made a mistake. But um, I said, guys, listen, Amy and I got in a fight tonight, today. I'm a disaster. Um, my son's playing baseball. It's probably better if I just go watch him play baseball and Jim's going to leave the meeting. I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I said. And I'm like, and everybody's like, and I, and honestly, I was so exhausted and tired. I didn't even really care. Yeah. And I'm not getting my income from this. That's the other piece. But, um, <laughs> but the point is what that did. And I wasn't doing it to get an elicit a response. Right. What that did to people was, Oh, that's real. Yeah. So I think you got to figure out. I'm not encouraging you to do that. Well, I can't preach today. My wife and I got in a fire. My husband and I. But I think you can just leak out a little bit of your struggle. Yeah. How, how about, um, so I'm in counseling as well. And um, one of the things that I work you through is I was probably known as a negative Nancy. Mm-hmm. And um, so... It's now, I, like the, what you said, you know, that phone call. They see my name come up on the phone. How do you... Reverse how do you, that. Yes. That's where... Well, then you I, know that. It's huge. So yeah. you know that about yourself. Yeah. So do you, when you come in the room or come in the thing, do you see everything that's wrong? I, I, I do. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, look at me, look at me. That's not a bad thing. That's a gift, actually. Yeah. It's just, it's just been perverted. You see, you know, that's I didn't say when I come in the room, I was so impressed. All these pictures are exactly lined up. You see all that? I'm like, I like this color scheme. I was, I mean, I just come in and I see, so that, there's nothing really wrong here. I just cheered with someone else. Where's going to break it? And I almost did. The point is, I see it. So that's a gift. That's discernment. 
But then it's like that, that your discernment is an invitation that God gives you to pray. And to, you know what I'm saying? So like this, that you're interacting with that is awesome. So, you know, um, you just got to, you're going to have to say, you know, they say this, studies say, you got to say like seven positive things to one negative thing. Right, right. So you're just going to have to bite your tongue. I mean, I, yeah, and I'm working through that. And it's great. I think it's on the reverse side of it is with the individual. Like every time someone sees my name yeah. come up, that there's not that thought like, Oh, well, you're going to have to outdo people with encouragement. So you're going to have right. to send a lot of notes, a lot of encouraging texts. Yeah, I find yes. myself that's where I am. You're, you're, or that individual conversation of, of I, I, I've had it at the dinner table like yeah. with my own husband of saying, I need you to acknowledge the, the, the change you see because mm-hmm. I know I'm working on it. Yeah. So that yes. it's not always... What you think is going to come to the right. table? Yeah. So it is. It's, That's good. You're yeah. training him to like help you grow. It's well, wonderful. yeah, it's that awareness that I've, yeah. I've had to come into experience. But I know a lot of times we we just get caught up in the everyday that people just never go. But they just see you one way. They yeah. never see you. This is a great book because what you're dealing with is shame. Right. Of the soul of shame. By Kirk Thompson, who is a Christian, but it's you know he'll stretch you. Um, Shame's a big deal. People that are negative and critical of others, all that's ha- all that's usually happening is everybody's overhearing their own second negative self talk. They're just overhearing this enneagram one. If you keep the score on that. <laughs> what else? Oh. That's an illegal question. I'm tell you. I'll tell you after. I'm a three with a four wing, but a lot of eight and a lot of seven. Yeah. Um, my question is, uh, I can't think of how to word it best, but uh, I'm, I'm in a position where I, I'm a pastor and church staff member of business mission into the thrift store, mm-hmm. and um, I'm also a pretty young person in that position, and sometimes I don't feel as equipped as I would like to be to deal with the amount of um, impromptu counseling that I am privileged to experience with people who come to the store. I deal with a wide range of people every day from the most unfortunate, but literally nothing, not even like clothing, to people who are incredibly wealthy. And all range of people come to me and have their stories and want advice. I wondered if there's any um, advice that you would give on how to like integrate support systems into yourself when you're that person that is being kind of having a lot of yeah. that. Yeah, well, it's a great question. Um, we had a thrift store, so I know that whole thing. Um, yeah, I, I would just say do your own work. Like, grow. And, and then don't feel pressure to answer questions that you don't have answers to. So I don't know. I don't know, but I can pray for you, and, and then, you know, you write down their question, and then Google the snot out of it, and say, you know, you come back next week, and I'll, I'll or ask your pastors, or whoever, um, but yeah, don't, you know, but, but, but every time, I, w- I would always do this, if somebody asked me a question that I couldn't answer, I would find out the answer, the best I could, so use that to motivate you, but don't try to answer, don't try to be something you're not. Um, it's really free. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, sir. You gave that example of what you kind of tapping out of that meeting. How do you help your team to understand that where they don't become like, I mean, you can't control it, but how do you kind of help them understand so that they don't become embittered, like, oh, he's taken off again, or, you know? Ask it a different way. I'm not quite understanding. Um, so, you walk out of that meeting, that could have sent a message to your team, like... Oh, he doesn't care, yeah. Yeah. I probably had one of those. That's probably my one. I do that again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of trust has been built. I mean, and they, they all know I'm not, this is a labor of love. I'm giving like 20 hours this thing. I'm not getting paid. I like, this is like totally, and everybody knows who I am, knows my world. So they know. So I bought, but I guess, you know, I gave some chips back, you know, that day, um, which was last Sunday. Um, so I know that I'm like, okay, well, so I get want you, so you can ha- kind of have that. Sometimes you just got to know, like if I do that, yeah. there's my, that's this year. I'll do that again this year. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, that was an extreme situation. I've never done that in my life like that. I've got angry meetings a lot, but I've never like tapped out, like can't do it um, today. Oh, the other thing that happened for the second consecutive week is the projector broke because this church, anyway, I had to utterly change my sermon within five minutes, two weeks in a row. That was contributing to my stuff. So literally, I'm like, that's like the worst nightmare. Like, because it was slide-heavy sermon. I'm doing this teaching thing. I'm like, I totally had to bail. Just do something. Two weeks in a row. See, I'm making excuses for my... <laughs> what else? Yeah, what over here, Dennis? I didn't get the latter part of a... Um... Yes. To the degree that you don't process your own emotions, to that degree, will you misunderstand your effect on others? So, meaning that <clears throat> if you're not in touch with fear in you, you're not going to be able to read it with other people. So you'll be leading a meeting and you, you know, you see these people objecting or they're not with you or they cross their arms or they like, what's going on there? Well, if you're native with all the emotions and you're experiencing them, you'll go, that looks like that, that smells like anger. That feels like fear. You know, somebody came in, they were sad. You notice their face. You know what I mean? I mean, only worry about that if you want to lead effective meetings. If you want your meetings to suck and people not be on board, then don't worry about it. Because the rah-rah, let's get the thing, let's take the ball, score the goal, that works for about two years. You wonder why church planning, like, launch teams rotate and turn over? This is one of the reasons. Some people are, as Pastor Greg said, scaffolding in the best sense of that word. And that's just true. A lot of people lose their trust in their leader. And they go, man... I love the vision, but I don't trust that gal. She doesn't understand who she is. She's not. It's empathy is what it is. When you can enter into fear in yourself, you are able to empathize, which means you uh, people feel understood. Yeah. And I just um, I kind of want to piggyback on that, but to your opinion. What I've also found, though, is as you get healthy, as your team gets healthy, as your church gets healthy, those that think they're healthy but really are not because they don't have clarity and awareness, um, they'll also leave. 
because I, I find the healthier that you get people that are unwilling to take that journey of health for themselves will eventually disappear. So true. Because it creates that like a dis discomfort. Put up or shut up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, I, I never understood this question, but probably, you hate to say, rank Jesus' questions. What are the best questions Jesus asked? <laughs> Here's one of the best. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be, and most people do not want to be well. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But that's really good, because what that shows you is the people that are really, right. you don't want unhealed unmotivated people okay. around your ministry. In other words, there can be dysfunctional comfort. That's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Dysfunction is comforting in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like being an American. I mean, you, you don't know your idols as an American until you travel. Yeah. And then you're like, what are we, why do we eat so much? Why, what is our deal with, like, entertainment? And you're like, oh. So until you... You, you can't critique your own culture until you get outside your culture. Yeah. And so you just got, you got to always have that. Anyway, what else? We just got a couple more and then we need just, to. Do you have a few resources that's a great book resource, two or three just off the top of your head yeah. in this field that you would recommend? Yeah, I think emotionally health, <clears throat> emotionally healthy spirituality. Emotionally, you write it down. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, Scazzaro, um, Italian dude up in New York. Yeah. Uh, Pete Scazzaro. And then um, there's a new book that's really good that I can't remember the name of. Um, you know, you read stuff on Kindle and you don't have like book covers anymore. It's such a sad turn of events. Um, it's called, and this is on the Enneagram side, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram. It just came out. Spiritual. It is the best book that I've seen on. I highly recommend doing an Enneagram assessment. If you will, um, I don't know how. If you will follow me on Instagram and you will direct message me and say, I was in your thing and I want to take a real Enneagram test, I will send you a code for a real one, a research based one uh, that will tell you. Yes. Um, <clears throat> And then, and then once you take that test, um, I, I'm going to put some stuff, literally a video on my, we're doing this because Liberty University hired my wife. My wife and I do this all over the country, the Enneagram stuff and the emotional health stuff. So we're literally going to put a, tra a training video on how to read your test and then how to use this book for yourself and your team if you want. Um, spiritual... Rhythms of the Enneagram, and it's like a husband and wife pastor team, two husband and wife pastor teams. Um, let's see if I can get the cover. Can you see the cover? That's what it looks like. Spiritual Rhythms. It just came out in 2019. Spiritual Rhythms of the Enneagram. It's really good. Anything Kurt Thompson writes. Um, uh, there's another book, The Guys Who Trained Us. It's called The Relational Soul by um, Plas, P-L-A-S. S, Plas, and last name Cofield, C-O-F-I-E-L-D, P-L-A-S-S, Plas and Cofield. Hey, real quick, can you guys give Darren Patrick a round of applause? Thanks so much, Darren.
We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming ARC Conference, visit artconference.com.